0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. If you are new, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. I want to welcome you in this morning. If you're not new, I want to welcome you back. Last week, we started a new series called Disconnected. Uh, Today, we're in part two of that. And what we said last week was this, that as you look at the landscape of our culture, what you see is more opportunities to connect than ever before. But if you actually look at people's lives and relationships, what you often find out is people are often more disconnected than ever before. And so last week, we talked about something we all deal with in every season and every relationship that disconnects us all at some point, and that is conflict. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about sexuality. The next week, we're going to talk about technology. And so we're going in on all light topics through this series. Um, And today, uh, probably one of the toughest topics of them all, we're going to talk about racism. And one of these key things that we see in our culture right now that disconnects us, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say about that. Now, here, here's what I know: I know, as I said that word racism, it evoked a response in all of you. I see it on your faces. I saw it on people's faces this week when I would say uh, they would say, "Hey, pastor, what are you preaching on this Sunday?" And I would say, oh, "Racism," and they would say, "Oh, I mean, do you do you know what you're getting yourself into?" As if I am clueless and naive to the fact that this is a tense topic. Because I'm not, right? I know you're not. I'm not clueless about this either. And so this is a tense topic. For me, it has been one as I studied this week. uh, I feel the tension. I feel the tension around this issue being clouded with a political angle instead of a biblical framework. I feel the tension of this morning right now standing before you that that I know today that some of you will think, Tim, you went too far, and that some of you yet will think, you didn't go far enough. I I know the tension that I am standing in, that I'm proclaiming the gospel in, and and I realize that as a person, not just a pastor, but here's the deal and the reality for all of this this morning is uh, this is not about me, it's about God's word. It's not about me, it's, the, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaiming that and all of its implications vertically in our relationship to God and horizontally in our relationships to others, even in the most difficult parts. That's what today is about. And so we're going to address it, and I think sadly we don't address this because of that tension, but we address it in every other realm of society. Have you noticed this? We don't address it in the church with God's word. We address it outside the church walls without God's word and without Jesus. And so today, we're going to change that, and we're going to talk about racism. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. I would encourage you to grab a Bible if you didn't already. Grab one on one of those back two tables. Head to Ephesians 2. Pull it up on your phone. Get God's word in front of you. I want you to see directly from God's word this morning. I want you to lean in with me. Uh, where you can definitely step out this morning. You can check out in this moment, but I don't want you to do that. I want you to lean in. Soften your heart. Even pray right now, God, soften my heart. God, open my mind to what your word has to say. May I leave behind any lens or filter that is from me or my preferences or my political party. May I leave that behind and may I open myself to the word of God. Would you... Just even pray that as we look at God's word this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's some context for you. Right, we're parachuting into this passage into this chapter. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. Most scholars believe, though, however, um, he wasn't just writing to the church at Ephesus. That this letter, Ephesians, would have been circulated amongst all the churches. Why? Because he's addressing issues that don't just affect one church or one culture. He's addressing issues that affect all churches, all cultures, all time. Right? It affects us today. And it does that as he addresses division. In Paul's day, there was a division between two different types of people across churches, across cultures. Primarily, those divisions occurred between Jews and Gentiles. If you read the whole of Ephesians chapter 2, if you read any of Paul's letters, you'll see circumcised people and uncircumcised people. And we all kind of think, like, why is Paul so so concerned with what happens a few days after a baby boy is born? But it was this reality, this symbol, that separated different groups of people. You had the Jews, the Jewish race, the Jewish nation, and then you had the Gentiles, which is everybody else. Every other race, every other nation. It's where we get our word. Literally, the word ethnos, ethnicity, is nations. It's all other races other than the Jews. And Paul begins to address this division that applies to other divisions that even we experience today. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, He Himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, that He has made us one. And broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus breaks down divisions, not diversity. What does he say? He broke down the dividing wall. Jesus breaks down divisions, not our diversity. You see it throughout the Bible. Diversity is a beautiful reality. You see it in the beginning, Genesis 12. Abraham, I want you to go. No, this is my home. No, I want you to to go, Abraham, and you're going to be a blessing. And through you, you're going to be a blessing to all nations. You see it in the book of Psalms, Psalm 67, let the nations be glad. You see it at the end, Revelation chapter 7. We get a picture of what heaven looks like, of what eternity looks like, that every tribe, every tongue, every language every tribe, every people group, every race, every tongue, every language, every race, every people group will all be together before the throne of Jesus Christ, worshiping him forever in eternity. We see the reality throughout scripture that there is beauty in diversity. Jesus doesn't destroy our differences. He brings us together in diversity. And once we realize that, There's a few options, right? When we realize we're different, we look at the whole of scripture, we look at the whole of life, we look at the imago Dei, the image of God, and we see creative people made in the image of a created God. Once we realize people are different, we come to grips with that, that there's beauty in diversity, there's a few options, and only a few, right? One option is this. We allow our differences to divide us. We see that in this text, this hostility that's happening Right? It's not just a kind um, debate. There's dividing walls of hostility. We see that in this text. We see that in our culture, don't we? No matter where you land on this issue or where you, what angle you see this from, if you just read the news, you see division. That we allow people of different, um, different personalities, different views, different races, different cultures, and we allow that to divide us. But when we allow our differences to divide us, here's the consequence. We miss out on unity. God makes clear we are to be a unified people. The church should set the stage in that way. Right? And so if we, if we allow our differences to divide us, we miss out on unity. Option number two, we try to destroy our differences or imagine they don't exist. We, we say things like, well, I'm colorblind. I mean, I don't even see color. I mean, I'm culturally neutral. And we just imagine a, a world. Imagine all the people, Right? And we, what if our differences didn't exist? And what if we could just get away from all these differences and focus on where we all have similarities? Well, what do we miss out on then? The beauty of God's diversity. The beauty of a, a creative, creator God. So option one, we miss out on unity. Option two, we miss out on diversity. Option three, the biblical option. We celebrate, understand, learn from our differences, and then we experience both unity and diversity the way God intended. You see, Jesus doesn't destroy differences. He does something way better. He unifies diversity. It's one of the things I love about this church. You look around the room, and there's a lot of people here that aren't like you. And we get to celebrate that and learn in the midst of that, right? It's one of the things I love about my family. My wife is Indian, and we get to celebrate that, and we get to learn about that. I've been to India with her. We get to learn and celebrate other cultures, but it's not just going and seeing. I get to see it every day in my house. Why? Because my kids look a little bit different. They're part Indian and, and part Caucasian. Specifically, my, my oldest daughter, she's lived this for a little while. We've got to see this ebb and flow. And, and at certain times, we've gotten to see her celebrate this and be like, I'm Indian. And when we get to check that box on a, an enrollment form, she's excited about that. Now, that's the way she is now. There have been times where she hasn't been like that. Four or five years old, I remember taking her to school for the first time. And she, she came home and she said, Daddy, why, why am I different than other kids? I want to be like them. And what she was talking about, what she went on to talk about was her skin complexion. And she she is darker than all of my other kids. And and she would look at all these other kids, look at her siblings and say, why am I not lighter skin like they are? Why am I darker skin, dad? I don't want to be that. And, And so the first thing I told her was, listen, girl, you don't even know how blessed you are. I mean, you do not want this. Like chalk, pasty white, like you have a, You have a beautiful complexion. I mean, these other girls in your class, they're going to envy your complexion. They're going to try to go manufacture that in something called the tanning bed. Like, you don't need to know what that is. Please don't know what that is. But they're going to try to do that. You already got it. Like, this is something to celebrate and learn from. There's beauty and diversity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Saw this at at our uh, wedding reception when I got married to an Indian woman and in-laws and family and friends and tons of people, mass amounts of people show up to a wedding and it was a blast, especially in the reception. In the reception, we had a full Indian meal. We had a dance and as we walked in, let me tell you, it was like a club. (laughs) They killed the lights. Everybody was twisting the light bulbs and untwisting the light bulbs. That's an Indian dance, just, just so you know. And everybody was excited. And here's what made this reception unique is, you know how you go to most weddings and they're like an eighth grade dance? Everybody's kind of scared, like, are you going to dance first? Are you, I mean, you go first. I don't, I don't think you can dance. Would you try it? And everybody kind of awkwardly does that exchange for a long time. Not this wedding, not with Indians, right? They jumped out on the dance floor, song one, and were are going at it, lifting people in the air. I looked over at one point and saw my father, who I've never seen dance before, doing the Macarena. <laughs> right? Which is not even an Indian song. I mean, things got out of hand, right? <laughs> and so there is beauty and diversity. We see that in our church. We see that in our families. But we also see the reality of what? Division. I saw it with my five-year-old daughter. We see it on the news. You see it in your families. You see it at your college campus. You see it at your your job. There's a reality of division. We all see this. We see it in our country in the midst of slavery. We see it today as there is still residue in our country from that, in the white and the black relationship. We see that with police officers we see that with uh debating people online we see that from no empathy we talked about empathy last week no empathy to say and look across at another person who may be a different color than you and say hey i know you're different but i'm not going to elevate you i'm not going to diminish you i'm going to treat you as an equal made in the image of god with inherent dignity despite the fact that our colors don't look the same We see this everywhere and some of us will say even right now and some of us are thinking well Tim I mean maybe I see it on the news I mean that's probably manufactured I mean maybe see it over here I mean ah, probably too sensitive maybe I see it out there like there's other places but like I'm not racist Like, I don't see what the problem is Tim everybody talks about it all the time seems like they, they make it a problem but I don't see what the problem is now now just think about this for a second My wife came up to me and said, Hey, we have a problem. We need to talk about this. She goes on to talk about it, and I listen and I say, I don't see the problem. Is there still a problem? You better believe there is, right? Just because I can't comprehend it, just because I'm trying to assess, like, is there really a problem? Let's analyze this for a while. Let's give the pros and cons. Can you give me some stats? You would say, you're a terrible husband. Like, listen to your wife. Empathize with her. You know what? There is a problem. I don't fully understand it. Listen, that's okay to say. I don't fully understand it, but I recognize that there is a problem that people are hurting. Black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, white people are hurting, and there's a problem. And in in empathy, we say, help me understand that problem. If you understand it, say, hey, I understand it, and I'm going to love you and pray for you and be with you in the midst of this. But even if you don't understand it, you could say, I understand how that could be a problem. Will you teach me and help me understand more? There is a divide racially. Uh, but it's not just today. This didn't just start with us. It didn't just start with blacks and whites, Hispanics. It started with Jews and Gentiles. Look back at the text with me, Verse 14. Paul references it. There's a dividing wall of hostility. Now, he's talking about figurative walls like we can all relate to, but he's also talking about literal walls that in that day Jews and Gentiles would have known a vivid expression of this, of walls in the temple where they worshiped God. So in the temple looked a little bit like this. You had an inner part, the holy of holies, where only a Jewish priest could go. And then you had a wall. And then outside of that wall, you had a Jewish male. And he would come into that area and worship God. And then you had another wall. Outside that wall, you would have maybe a Jewish female. And in that area, she could worship God. But then you would have another wall. And beyond that wall was called the outer courts of the temple. And in that area, the Gentile, the ethnos. The other nations, the other races, male or female, could worship God not inside the temple with everybody else, but beyond out, out a few walls. Right? And here's what this text says: that Jesus broke down every single wall of hostility, and He made us one, one with Christ that we don't have to worship in the outer courts or one level out or go see a priest and do confession and sit behind a wall. We can meet with God directly. How? Because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the mediator of God, who unites us all as one. And so we see divides in history. We see them today, but we also see Jesus breaks down every divide, every wall. We see a picture of this in Acts chapter 2. The apostle Peter preaches not to people that are divided by walls, but to people who are gathered together. We see that 3,000 people are are saved, and they hear the gospel in all their different tongues and all their different languages. This is just one effect that we see in Scripture. We see that today. We, We don't have walls. All of you are sitting together. Worshiping God and all your different ethnicities. You're worshiping God together. And many times as we read this, a passage like this, some of us think, Well, we're the Jews in the story, right? As Paul tries to communicate to these Gentiles, hey, hey, you're in too. Like, hey, come out from this far place. Go into this near place by the blood of Jesus. And, and we're thinking, well, we're kind of, I'm a Christian, so I'm, I'm like the Jew. And these other people, the worldly people outside, they're like the Gentile, and we're already in the place of the Jew. No. Not unless you were born Jewish. Like, this morning, if you're an American, if you were not born Jewish, you are the Gentile. You are the far off who God brings Near. You should celebrate this personally. Jesus breaks down every wall. He did that for you. Otherwise, you would not be here or know God. Jesus doesn't destroy differences. He unifies diversity. Our second point is we look at verses 15 and 16. Unity and eternity. How does he break down these walls? He fleshes it out for us more. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so we get the how of this unity. And he introduces us to two topics that are really big, law and the cross. And some of us, that throws us off, okay, Jesus abolished the law, like we struggle with that in the Sermon on the Mount, like you have heard it said, the law has said, but I say to you, we oftentimes struggle with the law and Jesus. Like Jesus abolished the law and fulfilled the law, but isn't the law supposed to be good and perfect? And we struggle with that. Let me try to lay it out as simple as possible this morning. In the beginning, there was unity, but there became a divide because of sin. As God relates to mankind in the midst of that sin, God is holy, people are sinful, he gives them a law. A way to relate to God, a way to relate to others. There's all these laws, you can go and read them in the book of Exodus, not just the Ten Commandments. There's way more laws than that. But because this sinful person is still involved in that law, the outworkings of that law exclude people. The outworkings of that law don't fulfill Genesis chapter 12 when, Jesus, when God says to Abraham, hey, go, be a blessing to all the nations. Like this law, as you obey it, Israel, it should help you be a blessing to other people. Not exclude people, but include them and be a blessing to them. But you have simple people, so we messed that up. That's the whole Old Testament. Then you come to Jesus. Jesus perfectly fulfills the law in the way that he lives. Then when he goes to the cross, that's our second big word law and cross. When he goes to the cross, he pays for all the ways in which that we distorted the law and we sinned against God. And he does it perfectly, and he does it fully, and he does it finally. Therefore he abolishes the law. He fulfills the law. And now things are different. Because of Jesus. And I want you to see two words, two ways that they're different. Verse 15, look at that verse, you see two words that are really significant, one and new. Notice, not just one, right? If if he would have said, Jesus makes us all one, okay, well, maybe, like, I can go back to reference that. Maybe that was in the beginning, maybe it was the garden. Maybe it was back in uh, the days of Israel when we were all tight as Jewish people and we were all together and we acted as one. They could maybe think that. Remember, Jews and Gentiles are both listening to this as a letter, But Paul leaves no doubt. He says there is one and there is new. A few verses later, he says you are like citizens of a new nation, members of a household. That there's not a lot of races anymore. There's there's one race, the human race, united by Jesus. This is something new. It's something where Jews and Gentiles get to be a part. But they're They're one so that no Jew would have heard this or read this and thought, man, he's talking about me. I mean, all these ways we're in Christ, like, yeah, that's like me and you, right? That no Gentile could have read this and thought, is he just talking about the Jews? Like Ephesians 1, all these blessings in Christ, like, is he just talking about the Jews? He's probably not talking about me. That both Jew and Gentile would have known, we're one and we're new. We're like, Household, We're like citizens of a new nation. We are like a unified, diverse family. We experience that same thing today. Whether you're black, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're Latino, whether you're Asian, we are part of new and one in Christ. Because Jesus fulfilled the law. Because Jesus died for our rebellion and our racism and our division. He broke all the walls down and now we are one. We are like a a family today. But not just today. We are like this for eternity. As we gathered here today, as we sing songs, and we are all different, but we sing in unison about the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. We're practicing We're practicing every Sunday. We're practicing for eternity. It's not just like this today. It wasn't just like this back then. It is like this for eternity. It's why Revelation chapter 7 paints that picture that every tribe and tongue and nation will still be there, worshiping Jesus, unified together. Listen, if you do not like other races, you will hate eternity. You'll be miserable. For eternity, because you're going to be kneeling down before the throne of Jesus with some other people that don't look like you and don't speak like you. And listen, you're going to be worshiping a Jesus who is fully man and fully God, perfect for all time, who was Jewish. And unless you're Jewish, you're worshiping someone who doesn't look like you. We are in a unified, diverse family. There is unity in eternity. This is what Jesus has done. So, where do we go from here? What do we do with this? Uh, I'm going to give you three things as we close, living what we learn. The first thing is this. You write these things down. We want to learn biblically. We want to learn biblically. And so, we want to. Look at these verses. Look at these verses, not just in Ephesians chapter 2. We want to look at the whole of the Bible. We want to see that broad spectrum of Jesus not destroying our differences, but unifying diversity. We want to see passages like Genesis 12, like Revelation 7, like Psalm 67, let the nations be glad, like Acts 2, like Acts 10, when Peter reaches out to someone who's not like him, Cornelius, sees that person come to know Christ, where he crosses that bridge of ethnic lines. We want to see Jesus and the Gospels do this. John 10, verse 16. I have other sheep, Jesus said, that are not of this fold, not of this Jewish fold. But I want them to be of one flock, Jesus said. Luke 10, as Jesus teaches us what it means to love our neighbor, and we constantly look for the exception to justify ourselves, we read in Luke 10, but Jesus shows us your neighbor is whoever is right next to you. We want to learn biblically, John chapter 4. Again, Jesus. Everyone in John chapter 4, everyone, as Jesus goes through Samaria, everyone would have gone around Samaria. Jesus goes through it. And he doesn't just pass through it, he stops at a well where everybody hung out because he knew he would talk to a Samaritan woman, Samaritan, different ethnicity. Woman, different gender in that day, that was scandalous. Everybody else goes around, Jesus goes through John chapter 4. So we would live what we learn. We would learn biblically. We would start, listen, we would start not from a political box, from a but from a biblical framework. Many of us, when we talk about issues like this, we start with a political box. We're like, well, you said this, did you mean that? And we're starting from this political box, and we're so, we're so nervous and fearful. Listen, if you here are here today and you say, I trust in Jesus as my Savior, I am a Christian. I know not all of you are, but if you are here and you confess and profess Christ, you are not first a citizen of the United States. You are first a citizen of the kingdom of God. If there are issues where you're not sure, you don't draw on your citizenship as an American, you draw on your citizenship as a person in the kingdom of God, as a Christian. You start with a biblical framework, not a political box. You hold on to these verses. If you debate, you debate these. If you begin to look at your conversations, look at your posts, look at your debates, and you could honestly just look at those and say, Man, I am trying to win for me and not witness for God. That is sin. That we all start with a biblical framework, not whatever political box. And listen, don't email me of like, I think you're a Democrat or Republican. I'm not going to tell you. We're not having that conversation right now. I'm talking about whatever your political party is, that you start with a biblical Christianity. And that's where we all start. If you profess Christ. And then you get into your political framework, your, your box, and you, you, you expound on that. And you lobby and you do all the stuff you want to do. Hey, do it. That's great. But start with the biblical framework. Some applications of that. That means you can love America and still hate racism. You know that? Everybody wants to put you in a box. If you hate racism, you must hate America. No. I love America, but I hate racism. You can love the police, but hate it when any person of color, black or any person of color, is mistreated or treated unfairly. And you can love the police. I have friends that are police officers, and I love them, and I know what they're up against. And I love them, but I can also look and see when a different race is put in a category or assumed something about. And that can also give me righteous anger. And I love the police. We can love all lives, believe they all matter, and still acknowledge, especially in our society where we've had a history of slavery and a disparity between black and white, we can acknowledge all lives matter. All are created in the image of God with inherent dignity and beauty, but black lives do matter also. And we can specifically point that out. And Listen, I'm not talking about the movement Black Lives Matter. I'm talking about the principle. You can say, All Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Why? Because you're a citizen of the kingdom. You operate from a biblical framework, not a political box. So, man, as your pastor, I would love for you to learn biblically. I would love for you to be entrenched in God's word. And you can get into politics too, but would you start with God's word? Before you post, would you pray? What a novelty. Before you you speak, would you pray? And let me just ask you, some of you have spoken. Some of you have posted. Did you pray? Was that trying to win for you? If you're honest, deep down in your heart, whatever side you take, whatever end of the spectrum, was that trying to win for you? Or was that an effort to witness for God? Because I've seen it on all sides. None of us are oblivious or, or innocent, rather, in this. Would you pray before you post? Would you learn biblically? Would we do that together? There's a a book, it's actually a children's book called God's Very Good Idea. And it lays out in Scripture what this looks like, how how differences are still there, but we still have a, a unified diversity, and that's beautiful. It's a book to go through with your kids. And listen, my prayer, we're not doing this very well as a generation. My prayer is that would change, that cycle would break, and it would happen with our kids. So I want to teach my kids why Indian and white is a beautiful thing, why black people is a beautiful thing, why Asian people is a beautiful thing, and cultures are a beautiful thing. And some of you, I know as parents, you feel intimidated by that, like, so Tim, I got to go to seminary and learn the Bible? Use those verses I gave you and read this book. Buy this book on Amazon. Take your kids through it. Read it yourself. If you're thinking, I don't have kids, I'm a college student, single person, get it and read it yourself. It will help you learn biblically. The second thing, living what we learn is that we would listen relationally. Uh, I had a conversation with a, a black friend of mine. He's a pastor. He leads a nonprofit in our city. He's directly engaging, actively loving people of all races, helping in this issue, believes the gospel and the Bible firmly but believes these are implications of it as we talk about race. He's gonna be here later this year to preach for us. Great man of God. But I was just sitting with him for lunch, not even in preparation for the sermon, just a while back, and I was asking him, hey, what do we do? There's so much debate, and there's so much animosity in this conversation, even amongst churches. How do I do this as a pastor? And the one thing he said to me was really profound, and it struck me. He said, hey, if you want to celebrate diversity, if you want to drive out racism, your church should reflect your living room. Your church should reflect your living room. Meaning that I just don't go out and hire a bunch of staff who are diverse and say, we're diverse. I don't just stand up here today before you and preach, hey, the beautiful, unified, diverse family of God. I don't do that. That I started my living room. That I start by listening to others relationally who are not like me, who don't look like me, who don't have the same color of skin like me. I get more lunches like that and ask those questions. And here's what I do. I listen. In empathy, I listen, I understand. And even if I say, ah, I think that's too far. I don't know if I agree. Can we keep talking about that? Yeah. We love one another. Speak the truth in love, grace and truth. Let's keep having that conversation. So, that you would do the same thing, that you would listen relationally. Stop reading so many blogs. Stop watching so much news, right? That news and blogs enrage. They don't bring peace. Have you ever talked to a real-life person with a face who was different than you and just listened and even walked away and said, man, I disagree with some of those things, But we listened. If this is ever going to change, if it's ever going to unify in our generation or for our kids, we have to, to listen. The last thing is that we would learn biblically, listen relationally, and we would love sacrificially. As Christians, we are to lead the way in love. We're to lead the way in love. And notice I said it, sacrificially. That it may cost you to love like this. That it may cost me to love like this and to speak like this. That I didn't run to this text this morning. I didn't run to this topic and say, I'm so excited to talk about racism. Best Sunday of the year. No, in my humanity, I I wanted to run away from this topic. Right? But, But I come back to it. Why? Because God has put a call on my life. Not as a pastor, but as a Christian, to love sacrificially, listen, sacrificially, even when it's painful. You see, we have this naive thought of Christianity that it's all supposed to be easy, that sanctification is a comfortable process. No, it's not. It's an uncomfortable sacrifice with blessing, with joy, more than you could ever dream or hope to imagine. But there's sacrifice and that God would call us to love sacrificially. By having conversations, by listening, by stepping out in action. That as a church, this is where we will live. This is where we will always live as a church. That we say this, that love moves. Right? That, that is a sacrifice to get up and move in word or deed. And we say this, that, that love moves in all areas of life. And it doesn't just happen with racism or minorities. It goes all the way back to the baby in the womb. That from the baby in the womb, to the orphan, to the minority, love moves to all of them. That's where we live as a church. We cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to a biblical framework. We listen relationally, and then we move out in our love sacrificially. In this, love may mean repentance and forgiveness. Love may mean repentance and forgiveness. You see, as we talk about something like racism, here's what we usually do, and you've seen it and you've been a part of it. We talk about racism, we defend, we deflect. We defend and we deflect. Well, you don't realize, Tim, what all's going on. You don't realize the manipulation of things. You don't realize this. You don't realize what's been done to me. And we defend. And we deflect. And Jesus, in love, is calling you to something different. He's calling you to repent and forgive. To not keep bring. if you're a person of color, to not keep bringing up old things, old things over and over again. If someone has come to you and apologized and said, help me understand, I confess, forgive me of my racism to you, that you would forgive. I'm not saying you don't talk about it ever again, but you wouldn't hold that over their head. Again, that's a biblical framework. Now, may that take more conversations? Absolutely, but you, you forgive. If you're a person in here that says, man, I'm not full-on racist, like I don't, I'm not that guy, but, but you tell a racist joke or have, or you'll entertain a racist joke. Somebody in your office says something and you won't call that out in the moment in truth and love. We need to repent of this. And listen, I'm not attacking you. I'm inviting you to join me in repentance and forgiveness. I I have prejudice. Prejudice means to prejudge people based on something like race. I have prejudice. I have had prejudice in my life. I have looked at people who are different than me and I've made assumptions and I've put them into categories and I'm asking you to join me And saying, God, we, we confess, we repent of even the thought, of the word, of even the ear that listens to those things. So will you, will, you, will you not think I'm attacking you, but will you, will you join me? Not in defending and deflecting, but repenting and forgiving. That we would ask today, Father, forgive us. For being a part of the divide. For being a part of the hurt. For being a part of the pain. God, I ask in this moment that these people would join me in praying that prayer. God, forgive us. And God, may you cleanse us may you cleanse not just us, but our world. And I know that starts with us. That God, as you hopefully give some courage to some men and women in this room to say, I repent and forgive. I'm not going to defend and deflect in this moment. I'm going to own whatever my part is. As you equip us to do that as a church. That God, this church is a light in the midst of the darkness in our community and goes out into our city and our city as our city changes and repents and forgives and sees the peace of Jesus Christ. That our state changes as our state changes, that our country would change as our country would change, our world would change. That you start with the church, you start with us. God, I, I thank you that I can confidently say that I'm excited to continue this conversation for it not to be the end of a conversation in this church. I th- I'm thankful that I can confidently say, God, that we will continue to be a church that reflects the kingdom of God, that we will continue to grow and making peace with other people who aren't like us, that we will continue to invite people into this place who look different than us, that we're continuing that. This is a church that already is growing towards like that. We're not perfect, but we pray that you would help us to continue to grow and to follow your lead, Jesus, as you made a one new man by the blood of your cross, and that all of us today worship you in light of that amazing, amazing truth. And everybody said, amen.